Good morning, Redeemer. Uh, this is our sixth week of not meeting together, and yet I hope you are encouraged, and I pray that your heart is filled with thanks to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
invite you now to pause the video, uh, take some time to read Psalm 94 together in the order of worship you received with the email uh, that included this service. You'll find discussion questions uh, so that you can uh, take the time to really think about Psalm 94. After you've done that, uh, either together as a family or individually, uh, let me invite you to spend time in prayer You'd be given some prayer points in that order of worship as well. And then this might also be a good time for you to take care of your regular 
giving. Uh, you heard a financial update uh, this week. While we face some challenges, we're also so grateful to God for His kind provision, and we're grateful uh, to you for your generous giving. What love could remember no wrongs we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts not their sum thrown into a sea without bottom or shore our sins they are many his mercy is read Acts 27, 1 through 12. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking on a ship of Adramentium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. 
And when we had sailed across the open sea um, along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra at Lycia. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty at Snidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the, the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith that God, in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. 
Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful to be hearing from your word this morning as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts as we near the end now. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to use your sufficient and powerful word to impact our thinking, but more than that, to transform our beliefs and our behavior. Uh, we, we don't want to walk away from an encounter with the inspired Word of God and shrug our shoulders, uh, but we want to walk away having been convicted, having been changed, wanting longing more of Christ through His Word. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that You would work during this time, that You would give us ears to hear what You have for us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. I've shared this once before, uh, but I was reminded of it again this last week. Pastor Brian Chapel tells the story of he and his brother doing some repelling uh, during his college years. His brother Gordon was on holiday from the Air Force, and so they headed off to a set of cliffs above the Black River in the foothills of the Ozarks. Of course, Gordon knew exactly what he was doing, but Brian didn't and was pretty apprehensive and afraid. Gordon assured Brian that he absolutely knew what he was doing, and they started with some gently sloping bluffs. After Brian had a little experience under his belt, they, they moved on to something more difficult. So I want you to hear how Brian describes what happened next. This is what he says. We climbed above the rushing, rock-strewn river to the highest cliff in sight. This cliff did not slope. It sliced backward away from its edge. To go off this cliff was to go off into nothing but thin air. No problem, I thought. I now know how to repel. I've, I've learned from the best. I started backing off the cliff into 100 feet of nothing but air when the diameter of that rope suddenly caught my eye. Gordon had told me it was specially made, high-quality, super-strength climbing rope, but that line on which my life now depended was only about a half-inch thick. I was going to jump off a cliff and this thread was supposed to hold me. My heart began thumping in my throat. My hands were suddenly clammy, and my knees felt as if they were filled with jello. I was so scared, I was nearly paralyzed. But, but I did not want to show I was afraid. After all, there was my brother looking on and grinning like a cat who had just cornered a canary. Still, I was, I was having a little trouble making my knees work as I backed slowly off the precipice. That is probably why I slipped. 
off the cliff I fell like a stone for about three feet. Then the rope caught me, pulled taut, and I hung suspended above the rocky river. Blood pounded in my ears like fireworks exploding. My breathing sounded like a runaway steam engine, and my eyes darted back and forth in panic, questioning from the rocks below to the rope above. But I hung there. The rope held me. It didn't break. I didn't fall. Gradually, as I realized that amazing rope would not break, I relaxed. My heart slowed down. My breathing became regular. I actually began to enjoy the view. Somehow, being in such great danger and yet so secure created a calmness. A sense of such overwhelming peace that the tranquility of that moment is etched in my memory. Fear and uncertainty, friends, gave way to a calming peace as he became convinced that he was being held safe and secure. I want you to keep this in mind, this picture, this story, as we move through the text this morning. Uh, Just a few minutes ago, you heard all of Acts chapter 27, read by various brothers and sisters. So let me give you a synopsis of what takes place in the second to last chapter of the book of Acts. The chapter begins with Paul setting sail for Rome. Luke records the events with great detail. Uh, You really get the feeling you're reading a unique text of Scripture about this epic sea voyage in the ancient world. In the first 12 verses, Luke, the physician, shows his love for precision in storytelling as he outlines the nautical details of this journey. But then when we arrive at verse 13, we encounter some serious drama. Look again at the text with me, verse 13. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Friends, These are real people caught in a very real storm, facing and fearing all the uncertainty and danger of violent weather. Luke tells us that those on board had to scramble to save the lifeboat. They had to get creative just to hold the boat together. They had to throw cargo overboard. They had no food. And in verse 20, we're told that they had no hope. And in the midst of all of this, Paul stands and prepares to speak. But friends, this is more than an emotional pep talk. Paul recounts how an angel of the Lord appeared before him and delivered a heavenly message. And it's a message that offers them all a reason for hope. They can be saved 
if they stay the course and endure the storm. Which leads us to this overarching conclusion that I believe we can draw directly from this text. And and here it is. Hope is found. Hope is found not in our own strength or ability, but in the sure Word of God and His eternally secure grip on all those who believe. This truth is specifically seen in how God protects and perseveres Paul, but we also see the principle at work generally in God's protection of everyone on the ship with Paul. Of course, I I want you to see where I'm getting this in the text. Perhaps you even heard it as it was being read. So this is where I, I want to spend all of our time this morning in a fairly small section of verses in the middle of this story, verses 21 through 26. Let me read those again. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Paul declares a message of hope, but notice notice that the basis for this hope he is proclaiming, it's not in himself. He's not presenting himself as the source of hope in the midst of the storm. He's not saying, listen guys, I have a plan, just trust me. No, Paul makes it abundantly clear that this message of hope he's now sharing is rooted in God alone. Paul points everyone in the ship to the sure word of God and the secure grip of God. I want you to see first hope in God's sure word. Again, verse 23, for this very night there stood before me an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Notice first that this is an angel of God. This is a divine messenger. This visitation was not a figment of Paul's imagination. It wasn't the result of something he ate. God sent a messenger to Paul to deliver the very word of God. Now friends, as we've walked through the book of Acts, this isn't the first time we've seen something like this, is it? 
In fact, I want you to think back all the way to the beginning of this book, Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Two angels appear beside the disciples at the ascension of Christ, and they promise his return. In Acts chapter 5, angels broke the apostles out of jail. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, an angel of the Lord appeared to Philip and directed him to the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 10, an angel appeared to Cornelius and told him to send for Peter. In Acts chapter 12, an angel of the Lord woke Peter up, freed him from prison, and delivered him to safety. Paul was actually visited by Jesus, both on the Damascus Road and again in chapter 23, after he appeared before the Sanhedrin. Brothers and sisters, God cares for and directs his children in the midst of uncertainty and difficulty. Now, he does this in a variety of ways. You likely have never experienced the examples that I just talked about, but this truth remains. God cares for and directs his children in the midst of uncertainty and difficulty. As Paul finds himself in the middle of a ferocious storm, God is not absent. He isn't hiding. No, God meets his children in their time of need and he offers hope. And the foundation of the hope God offers is his sure, unwavering, and trustworthy word. God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. It's good to remember sometimes very simple truths. Let me offer you one right now. God only makes promises he keeps. God only makes promises he keeps. All of us have had at least one person in our lives that loved to make promises, but consistently failed to keep them. And if we're not careful, friends, we can begin to think of God in this way. But when we find ourselves wondering whether we can trust God, we must return to his word. And in his word, we will find a multitude of of sweet, faith-fueling reminders. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, we are reminded that every word of God proves true. The psalmist in Psalm 12 assures us the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. Again, the psalmist says, Psalm 18, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Keith Getty and Stuart Townend wrote a wonderful song that expresses precisely what we're talking about now. The song is called Every Promise. Listen listen to the first and last stanzas. From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. Words of power, strong to save, that will never pass away. I will stand on every promise of your word. For your covenant is sure, and on this I am secure. I can stand on every promise of your word. Hope that lifts me from despair, love that casts out every fear. 
as I stand on every promise of your word, not forsaken, not alone, for the comforter has come, and I stand on every promise of your word, grace sufficient, grace for me, grace for all who will believe. We will stand on every promise of your word. We find hope in the sure word of God. His promises are a ballast to us when life circumstances have us feeling like the ground is shifting beneath our feet. So many of you know that by personal experience. Some of you have experienced that in the past week. Perhaps the past couple of days. I want you to hear a quote that I found very challenging and instructive. It's by commentator Dennis Johnson. And this is what he writes. The depth of your trust in God's promises is shown not when you enjoy smooth sailing on calm seas, but when the hurricane howls and the breakers crash and those around you lose all hope Faith grows strong as you lean on God in tough times and find Him faithful. I needed this reminder from our text this week. Notice the progression. When fear and uncertainty is beginning to well up, Paul delivers the promise of God in verse 22. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Paul's delivering what he has been told by God through a messenger. Then Paul reminds those around him of the promise when all hope seems lost in verse 34. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And then finally, God delivers on his promise. In verse 44, notice how the verse ends. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. We hear the promises of God, but then we forget. So we need to be reminded And then as fear and uncertainty begins to creep up again, God delivers on his promise. He always does. He's never failed. We find hope in the sure word of God, but also we find hope in God's secure grip. I'm getting this from verses 22 and 23. Look at those with me again. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. It was fascinating for me to read through commentaries that referenced ancient stories of of seafaring journeys and shipwreck. They talked about the typical place of a dramatic speech by the main character. You see, normally the dramatic speech warned of impending devastation and loss. 
right? The main character stands up before everybody and he, he says, the end is near. The storm will overtake us. Save yourselves. But friends, what do we find here? Well, it's the opposite. The main character stands to speak. And as we've already seen, his message is not one of impending doom and destruction, but it's a message of hope. Now again, Paul's hope had nothing at all to do with any human factor. No strength or skill of man. His confident hope was in the one who created the world and ordained the storm. If God said that not one member of the crew would be lost, then not one member of the crew would be lost. Again, we see the trustworthiness of God's word. He will keep his promise. But brothers and sisters, there's a very specific phrase that that I don't want you to miss. Perhaps more than anything, this is what bolstered Paul's confident hope in the midst of the storm. Look at verse 23 just one more time. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. The God to whom I belong. What a profoundly glorious truth. Paul belongs to God. I love how one author states this. Paul's security lay in the fact that he was God's property. In the disorienting throes of uncertainty, I'm I'm not sure there is anything more helpful than this. I belong to God. I belong to the all-powerful and sovereign ruler of the universe. I am his, purchased by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, nothing can hurt me and nothing can touch me apart from what he allows. And I know that all he allows is for my good and for his glory. Wow. Think about this. Suffering brother or sister, you belong to God. Unemployed brother or sister, you belong to God. Anxious and fearful brother or sister, you belong to God. And you're a treasured possession. This is why we sang the song we did earlier. Christ, our hope in life and death. The lyrics are based on the very first question of the Heidelberg Catechism and they're found in our text this morning. Listen carefully to the question and the answer. Here's the question. What is your only comfort or hope in life and in death? Here's the answer. That I am not my own. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death 
to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Oh, brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to perhaps memorize that question and that answer. In fact, I was reading just a few months ago a, a book by a mother who's, who's about my age, who had one of her small children diagnosed with cancer. The name of the book was The Clouds You So Much Dread. As she was telling the story about, about receiving the startling uh, news from the doctor about her son, she said one of the first things that came to her mind was this question and its answer. Something she had learned when she was a child. This brought tremendous comfort. It, it reoriented her thinking in the midst of a storm. Brothers and sisters, the promise of God and His secure and sovereign hold on us are, are like an unbreakable rope. And this unbreakable rope allows each of us to experience what Brian Chapel experienced as he faced that fearful and dangerous situation that I shared with you when we began. Listen, listen again to what he said, but now think about it in the context of what we've talked about this morning. Gradually, as I realized that amazing rope would not break, I relaxed. My heart slowed down. My breathing became regular. I actually began to enjoy the view Somehow being in such great danger and yet so secure created a calmness. A sense of such overwhelming peace. Hope is found not in our own strength or ability, but in the sure Word of God and His eternally secure grip on all those who believe. So brothers and sisters, let me take words from the Apostle Paul. So take heart. Take heart. You belong to God. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're so thankful for the book of Acts, this breathed out text that's living and active. We read this, this ancient story, and yet we realize that there's so much for us today in what we're facing. Though Paul found himself in a physical 
storm. There are truths he embraced, was comforted by, found hope in, while facing a, an actual storm at sea that we can embrace, we can treasure, we can find hope in, in any difficulty, any uncertainty. So God, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would take, you would take the word and you would, you would pierce our hearts with the word that it would take hold of us and that we would experience the, the calmness, the overwhelming peace, the hope that can only come when we realize that we are secure in your hand. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in light of what we've encountered in the text this morning, uh, I want you to listen carefully again to the song that Kramer and the team introduced you to before. Uh, in light of what we've studied this morning, think deeply and meditate on uh, the richness of this wonderful new hymn.
to the grave what shall we sing christ he lives christ he lives and what reward will heaven bring everlasting life with him there we will rise to meet the lord their sin and death will be destroyed Redeemer, as we close this time of worship through uh, watching this video, uh, I want to encourage you, as we've done so many times before, if you are in need at all, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, we stand ready and willing to serve you in any way we can. Let me leave you now with this blessing. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You are sent. Go and make disciples.